Boudin for breakfast, Zydeco dancing with the proper hat, and running a 5K in the morning after a late party. This week, we're in Lafayette, Louisiana. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where food and travel come together at DestinationEatDrink.com, on the Destination Eat Drink YouTube channel, and right here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, Darlie Newman's back talking about season 11 of her show, Travels with Darlie, and her adventures in Lafayette, Louisiana, on Route 66, and in South Korea. But first, this show's a labor of love for me, and I'd sure appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That will help other people find the show that I spend so much time working on to bring to you. And if you could swing it, would you consider supporting the show with a few bucks? You can make a one-time or recurring contribution in any amount at buymeacoffee.com slash destination eat drink. And thank you so very much. Darlie Newman is the creator and host of Travels with Darlie, the terrific TV show on PBS, and the 11th season is out now. Check your local listings for when Travel with Darlie airs in your area. Darlie was on the show last week talking about the underrated cuisine of Alabama. This week, Darlie's back, and she shares with me the International Festival in Lafayette, Louisiana, where dancing is serious business. Then, it's off for a road trip on Route 66 in Illinois with antique cars and a retro diner. And Darlie tells me about staying in a Buddhist temple in South Korea, where she had the best sweet potato ever. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Darlie Newman, welcome back to Destination, eat, drink. It's great to talk to you some more about season 11 of Travels with Darlie. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me on. It's always so fun to talk to you. And last time we talked, we got to talk about Foodie Alabama, which was super enlightening to me because it's a place, like I told you, that I don't have a lot of experience with. And we also, um, you know, went on a tangent, as I want to do, <laughs> talking about uh, music tourism, which was a fun little conversation. But this time... What I'd like to talk about, or at least start talking about, is uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, because this is another place that I haven't been to. Um, you know, as I told you last week, I've spent uh, a fair amount of time in New Orleans. We used to go there all the time when um, we lived in Austin. We used to go to Jazz Fest and just spend time in New Orleans just to hang out. We loved it. But Lafayette is not on a lot of people's radar. Tell me why Lafayette should be a place that we should go visit. Well, we went to Lafayette during Festival International, which is in April every year. And it's a free festival open to the public multiple days with music, with food, with art. And they've got they had five stages going when I was there with different music. And the music is this kind of French influence music, which again, a lot of people don't know the history of Lafayette, but we have this French Creole background and heritage there, which is really cool to discover. So this is a free festival that you can go to and you can take part in um, hearing bands from all over the world. They had 
you know, someone singing from Mongolia when I was there. They had names that you would recognize and then and bands and things that you wouldn't recognize. So I thought it was a really fun way to dive into the city. And I did things um, obviously at the festival, but then also went outside and went crawfishing and kind of looked at the food um, from the perspective of what do I want to eat when I'm in Lafayette? Got to have the boudin. What do I want to experience? You've got to dance. And it's a, it's a destination that you might want to put on your radar, especially for this festival, because the festival was really fun. You did have Boudin when you were in Lafayette. Um, most folks probably don't know what that is. I didn't know what it was until um, it was explained to me on the podcast years ago uh, by the uh, singer of uh, Shiny Ribs, uh, Kevin Russell. He was on the show, and he he's he's a Louisiana guy who's now based in Austin, and he told me about Boudin and uh, had some funny stories to tell about it. But why don't you share with the audience what is Boudin and how'd you like it? So it could, it reminds me of like a, a type of a sausage. It can come out looking like a sausage depending on it's, it can be prepared in a variety of different ways. So, but it's, it's a fried um, dish that you have classically with like a pork meat with rice, liver, onion seasoning. And mine was packaged like a sausage and, and then combined with some biscuits and mine was covered with cane syrup and I had it as a breakfast treat, but it's a, it's a local dish that can again, be prepared in a variety of different ways. Um, and I thought it was really tasty. I, again, I hadn't had it before. I had it at the French press, which is a restaurant you might want to visit if you're in Lafayette. And if you're there during festival international, you just have to keep in mind that it can get busy. You might have to wait in line a little bit to get in, but it, it was tasty and, and and just different and something I I hadn't thought about trying before until I went to Lafayette. But it's it's got that sweet, salty kind of crunchy combination, which I think is so powerful. When you can get a sweet and salt together in your in your dishes, it's a winning combination. I never thought of having syrup on the boudin, but it makes sense. I mean, people put syrup on their sausages and for breakfast in the morning. So it only makes sense to put it on there. I've only heard of it being, you know, cooked up and had for dinner, but that's an interesting way of, of having it. And I got to imagine it would be great to have that sweet and savory together. Well, this is a type of food, if you're going to Southwest Louisiana, this is where you really have to try it. And it's, you know, it's a specialty of the area and it's, it's dating back to the time when the Acadians, kind of settled in this southwestern part of Louisiana. They're the Cajuns, these French-speaking settlers, and we've got them coming out of Canada and, and coming all the way down to the, to the swamps and the areas of Louisiana and making a life for themselves, but bringing in their French-Canadian heritage to the area and some of the foods that they might have. So when you're traveling in Lafayette in this area, you will find those influences, and I think that makes it pretty interesting. You talked about Festival International, and I I personally love the uh, French Acadian music, uh, you know, the accordion and the dancing and all of that stuff. But you make it sound like, uh, well, it's called Festival International. So there's there's groups, there's singers, there's artists, there's musicians from all over the world. That's fascinating to me. Um, how did you find that juxtaposition of all of these different kinds of artists? I loved it because I mean, the fact that there were all these multiple stages with things going on at the same time um, and in between when you're walking from one thing to the next, you're seeing vendors that have local art, they have local you know, jewelry and clothing and things that 
are unique and special. It's not your, you know, mass market type stuff. And then you've got food everywhere because this, this is a, this is an area where if you're a foodie, the locals are foodies too, (laughs) which is, which is a great area to visit if you like food. Um, So I found it awesome. And I, again, I loved being able to go around and feel like I was almost traveling the world without leaving this festival. So I thought, and and while I was there, if you've watched any of my recent episodes or if you know me, I'm a hat person. I love hats. And I think, I guess I get, it's runs of the family because my dad was a big hat person too. And I went to this place called um, the Cajun Hatter where this guy Colby makes custom hats for the festival and in general. And that place was jam packed. And when I was there, there were people from all over the world that had come to experience this festival and they were in there buying hats. And that was really interesting to me because I thought, wow, this is a place where if you're interested in learning about other cultures, you can come during this festival and you will feel like you've gone somewhere else and not just Louisiana, but you might feel like you've gone to Africa. You might feel like you've gone to France. You might feel like you've gone to Canada and it's all in one place. So that's pretty neat. You got your hat. So you're ready to go. Did you dance to the music? I had I had to try it. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do? I think I progressively got better. I did take a dance lesson when I was there. Uh, Dr. Mariah Hargrave teaches something called Zydafit. And she's fascinating because she has really studied both dance, but also this history and culture. And she did a lesson for me with Zydeco dancing and it originated among the Francophone um, Creole peoples of Acadiana, which is this Cajun country where we were traveling around Lafayette in and around Lafayette. And she kind of told me like, get loose, like don't worry about the specific moves, but also some funny things that you would want to keep in mind if you're traveling to this festival and you're going to consider dancing. I mean, people take it very seriously. Like when you're dancing, she said, don't think you're going to have a big conversation when you're here in Lafayette at the festival or in general going out to dance. Cause they have also a number of dance halls in the area, um, which have a lot of history, which you can go out at, at night as well. If you want to continue continue the party on. Um, but she said, it's, it's, you know, you're not chatting and having a conversation. Don't be surprised if someone's not smiling, smiling at you, they are there to just dance. And I kind of felt refreshed by that. I did dance with a couple of people at the festival and I felt like, I was like, this is cool because they're like seriously dancing right now. And you don't even have to be the best at it. Cause I definitely was not. Um, but people are very open to like going with the flow and teaching you about their culture through the dance steps. You know, you mentioned Zydeco music and four years ago I had uh, CJ Chenier on the show and he's known as the crown prince of Zydeco music because his father Clifton Chenier was the king of Zydeco music. And CJ is carrying on that mantle. And he talked about um, traveling around in the bus, all the guys in the band, they would bring their portable cookers and they would bring their own spices and they would just go to it because depending on where they would go, they couldn't get the kind of food that they liked, the Cajun food that they liked outside of Louisiana. But the reason I'm telling you this is because he told me about Lafayette and he called it, he had a nickname for Lafayette. He called it Lay Flat. 
And I, I think you can imagine why it has that nickname, probably two reasons why it has that nickname uh, lay flat. But I think because mainly because it's a great place to go and just have fun and party. Totally. And, and, you know, I did that when I was there and then I tried the festival international, they have a, like a a 5k running event one morning and I decided to sign up for it. And it was later into the festival because this is a five day festival. So you can be there for multiple days. And I woke up that morning and I, it was kind of hilarious. I did finish the race and you know, everybody was out there. There were families out, there were kids out. So it just goes to show you, I love going to places where you feel like it's very inclusive and welcoming of not only, you know, a variety of, of people from around the world, but different age groups. So I thought that was neat about the festival. So you could make this into a family trip. You could go with like girlfriends, you could go with, um, you could go by yourself and have a good time. So I I really liked that about the festival and, and going to Lafayette and I could see how you would lay flat because after you're eating that boudin <laughs> and maybe like a crawfish bread bowl, you're going to want to lay down. Oh my goodness. And good on you for, I, I imagine that you were out kind of late the night before to uh, haul yourself out of bed and, and run a, uh, run a 5k. I know I would have been like, I'm hitting the snooze alarm and turning over, you know, <laughs> but here you are out there running good on you. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, well, it was a good way to start the day. And then I went and got ice cream. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Th- see, that's what, that's what I would say. I'm like, Darley, go ahead. I'll meet you after for ice cream. <laughs> I know, right? I'll see you there. Um, tell me about some of the other places that you went on the season. Cause like I said, you have 13 episodes in the season. We covered a couple in Alabama. We covered Lafayette. Uh, where else did you go? So we also take on Route 66 in Illinois, where we drive from Chicago to St. Louis. It's a great episode. I'm excited about it. The diversity of food, the diversity of history, the retro mixed with the modern. Uh, I went to this polka dot drive-in and we drove there in a classic car. I went with a guy who's a member of a car club and all of his car club friends came and they had all of their cool old cars out at this retro diner. And I thought that was pretty special. And then I went to this place on Route 66 called White Fence Farm that has exceptional, exceptional fried chicken. And Laura, who runs it, has, again, it's been a longtime family business, but she really hit it home to me about the kind of community you can find when you go to these family and restaurants that have been in these families for a while. And she just, you know, she's seen generations come in and, and have her fried chicken over the years. And she's gotten to know the the locals and also the travelers that have come in year after year when they're traveling along this historic route. So that's a really, and of course I had to go to the cozy dog cafe and have these, they're not corn dogs, they're cozy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's, and, and a really great place um, that had prime rib that melted in my mouth. So a lot of great food offerings in the Route 66 episode. In Virginia, I went to a Turkish restaurant called My Turkish Cravings in Northern Virginia, where I was discovering a lot of history at national park sites. And then I was able to go over and have Simit, which is the Turkish bagel at another family owned place where 
I, I ended up interviewing the son. Um, he's working in the restaurant. His mom started it and she just started cooking out of her house and was providing baked goods to local other local restaurants and it, and grew it out from there. And then we're going to South Korea in this season and trying temple food at um, with John Kwan, who's a Buddhist nun who's featured in the Netflix Chef's Table series. So, oh wow, yeah, lots of really amazing food. And North Dakota, I love the roadside attractions in North Dakota. And I went to see this the world's largest Holstein cow called Salem Sioux. And right nearby, there's a really great coffee shop called Utterly Caffeinated. Gotta love the name. <laughs> Another small business, which had, you walk in here and it's like cow, I bought cow-themed earrings, but they have cow-themed everything in this place. And of course, she's making really great coffees. And you can have a coffee of some sort and then go over and see the world's largest Holstein cow and take some photos. So a lot of really diverse and fun food options in the next season. That sounds great. You know, going back to Route 66, I, I'm just so glad that a lot of these places are still around because, you know, the interstate, when the interstates came in, I think it's Interstate 55 that goes from uh, south of Chicago down to St. Louis, you know, it bypassed a lot of those places that were along Route 66 that fed and, you know, filled up the gas tanks and gave places to sleep for all of the people that were traveling from Chicago, St. Louis, all the way to Santa Monica, California. And a lot of them went out, but I'm glad to see that some of them are still preserved. And it sounds like in their original form of the classic diners and the classic cars and all that stuff that I love. Well, they are there. And there's actually a number of uh, service stations, Sprague's service station. There's a number of them that have been preserved as sites that you can visit and go by. And they have little museums inside some of them. So you can make your old roadside stop. And then I went to this place called Wally's, which is, I think, one of the ultimate road trip service stations in modern times. It's a mega huge uh, gas station place that they also had chargers for e for electronic cars there. But inside they had a lot of different food options. They're known for their popcorn. They're known for their different like sausages and dried meats and things. But I thought that was pretty cool too. So you really get the juxtaposition of this, these old places with the new places. I went to um, Doc's just off 66, which, you know, again, had flights of ice cream and you're in this, this building that dates back such a long time. Uh, and again, people are trying to preserve these places. So you're getting a sense of the community as you travel and people that really care about, you know, the history of their area. Tell me a little bit about South Korea, because it's a place that's always been so fascinating to me, the juxtaposition of the modern and the traditional. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, before we talk about food, just how you found the culture. What was it like? Was it was it jarring to you or did you feel immediately at home? What was it like for you, Darlie? So it, you know, it is different. This is my second time visiting South Korea. My previous trip, which has an episode attached to it, I went to Seoul and I went to Jeju Island, which was fascinating. I I went diving with the Henya, this community of women. They're on UNESCO's World Heritage List for their intangible heritage. And they dive down and harvest seafood from the ocean floor off of Jeju Island still to this day. 
and you can go out and see them diving and, and then try the food. And I, I thought that was fascinating. This trip, I went to Seoul, I went to Pusan, and then I went out to this and did a temple stay. And I thought it was really interesting that there are a number of temples around South Korea that welcome travelers. So you can go for the day, you can go for a night, you can go for multiple nights. You, you will have a deep dive into Buddhist culture, Buddhist history, temple food, which is this vegan vegetarian, these dishes that uh, at, at the temple that I went to, they're actually growing a lot of the stuff there right on site, which I thought was really cool. So you you intertwine the culture and the history in South Korea at a lot of these locations. And Busan was, Busan, they say Busan was very beautiful. I mean, this is a coastal beach area. And I woke up one morning and went running just to kind of explore on my own. And I ended up getting to this location where I just looked out and saw these great views. And I went to a local seafood market, which was a little bit shocking to me because the seafood there is so fresh that it might be moving on your plate when they serve it to you, mm-hmm. which was a little bit strange for me. I love sushi, but I was like, I do want my sushi not to be moving when I'm about to eat it. Right. But again, I found it really interesting. And the food was definitely um, definitely something that would reveal something about the culture and also the landscapes and where where people are sourcing different things from in their respective areas. Tell me a little bit more about this Buddhist monastery stay, because I love Buddhist food. Um, when we lived in Hawaii, one of my favorite restaurants in Honolulu is right down the street from us, was run by the Buddhist monastery. And of course, it's vegetarian, but the food itself was really extraordinary. Still one of my favorite places in Hawaii, I think it was called the Water Drop. It's been a few years since we lived there, um, but it was great food. What was your experience like staying there? Um, do, do you do you get to interact with the monks and whatnot? You do. You can. You can kind of choose what you want to do. So this is the temple where John Kwan, it's her temple. Um, and I just stayed for a night. But basically, I got there and they gave me almost like a uniform to put on. And I was like, OK, nice. Um, yeah, so I had my I had my uniform on. I participated in some of I did a crystal ball meditation. I went and participated in the chanting session with the other Buddhist monks who were there. Um, you know, I tried to take a little bit of a dive in and immerse myself in temple life and kind of see what they did day to day. And a lot of it turned out to be surprising to me because, for instance, cooking with Zhang Quan, she's making this these plant based um, dishes and, you know, everything from tofu. She handed me a sweet potato, which I've always thought people love sweet potato fries. And I've always like, Oh, I like regular fries better, but she hands me this sweet potato and all it's been is boiled and, and, you know, cooked. And she hands it to me as like a snack and I take a bite of it. And I'm like, this is the best sweet potato I've ever had. <laughs> like, how did she, she grew it out in her garden. And I'm, and she has all of these um, pots everywhere around the temple area where they're, they're using fermentation to make kimchi and other things. They, they have a lot of um, dishes that, that have fermentation elements as well, which can be quite healthy. If you've, if you know anything about it, it can be actually really good for your gut. So I thought this was really cool. Now I will say 
I was a little bit cold <laughs> the night I was sleeping there because it's not like you're going to, this is not a five-star experience. It is five-star as far as I'm concerned on the experience end of things. If you want to have a very cool experience, but it's not like you're staying um, with a hot tub in your room and, you know, thread counts that are really high <laughs> with your bedding. Like they give you a mattress and you're on the floor and you get you got a simple little towel and and blankets and things. So I did get a little cold at this mountain temple that night, but it was totally worth it. I could have gotten up Brent at like 3 a.m. and done some more chanting with the monks, but I decided since I had stayed up late doing that the night before that I would sleep until six to get up and do my hike up to um, a higher part of the temple to do this cooking lesson. So it's definitely a, a cool thing. I, I recommend it because it the whole thing about it is they're trying to, to share with you the fact that we need to like, we need to focus on being in the moment sometimes. And when you're helping someone cook something, and I found this in a lot of places on my travels in this season, it's about taking the time to savor the little things in life and savor, you know, having a sweet potato that just, that just was, you know, prepared and is hot and warm and, and is simple in itself. And it's looking at those simple things in the the everyday of our lives that we can find so fulfilling and beautiful if we just stop to think about it. So I thought that was a really important element. And I found that too from Alabama's Chef Scott Peacock um, and a lot of the chefs down there who were, I did a biscuit making experience that was teaching me about staying in the moment when I'm, when I'm doing something and not always multitasking and not running from one thing to the next. And that was something that I hadn't thought about going into the filming this season that I took away from it, that food can serve as this meditative process for us and really make us appreciate the the ordinary and the everyday. Those are two amazing tips, Darlie. I never thought of it in those terms before. I mean, I, I always think about being present, being in the moment, giving your full attention, being mindful of of what you're doing. And I never considered it with cooking, but you must because if you don't, you can have catastrophic results, but also you're sharing hopefully with another person who's uh, who's cooking with you. But also I would say um, you want to, if you're sharing a meal with someone, you want to be mindful, you want to be in the moment. So that thank you for articulating that. That's a wonderful message. And then I think your second message is stay at the temple, but bring your flannel jammies. For sure. A hundred percent. Because I was rooting through my suitcase and going, oh, I think I'm going to like add another jacket or layer here tonight. But, you know, it's it's also super refreshing. You wake up in the morning and you look outside and I had an awesome view out of my room. And it it, it just goes to remind you again of what you want to try to value in your life. You know, we all we're not on this earth that long. And I think when you take the time to disconnect and go to a place like a temple stay, or in the U S we do have different, we, there are monasteries where you can stay there in a number of my episodes too, actually. And I think those places can be really, and a lot of the ranches and dude ranch experiences too. You just take a few moments to like savor the nature, savor riding a horse, savor being with a dog, savor having a, like a, you know, a, a pretty simple meal. And it's, it can really change your perspective and make you realize like this is what it's all about. We stayed in a monastery in Sicily and it's still an experience that I'll never forget. So um, 
my vote in there too with you, Darley, to uh, to stay in the monastery, stay in, stay. You don't have to be religious, all right. You 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 know it's it's there for you to experience, to understand a different culture, to understand a different way of life, and maybe learn something about the religion on 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 your way. But um, you know, n- not required that you are a member of of that religion or any religion for that matter. No, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I think it's almost just again, learning about how other people think and how they view the world. And even if you don't agree with it or you leave saying, oh, that's not for me, you'll find that you've taken something away from the experience that has changed you probably for the better. Darlie, before I let you go, you've jumped into the podcast world. You're working my side of the street now. Um, <laughs> uh, tell, tell me about your new podcast. Uh, what, what's, it, what's it about? And how's the experience been so far for you? So it just it's just out um, with the first season of the Travels with Darley podcast. So I've been doing this show for PBS and streaming for years. And the show, if you watch it, which you have, Brent, it's an immersive dive with locals into these different locations. And the podcast is is in that is in that um, realm as well. So I'm taking you on location using the audio that I captured when I've been traveling and filming with these different people and doing these different experiences. So if you listen to the podcast, you'll also be taken on location to go to Alabama and eat with these world-class chefs and try the murder point oysters at automatic seafood or um, head to the market at Pepper Place in Birmingham and explore a farmer's market with a local chef. So I'm taking you around um, the U.S. and the world in an immersive way through this podcast, which is on all the podcast platforms. Well, Darlie Newman, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know you're busy trying to get the uh, new season of Travels with Darlie out, so I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. It's always great to catch up with you. Folks should uh, check out your show on PBS, check your local listings. Travels with Darlie is now in its 11th season. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Brent. What a great conversation with Darlie Newman, and what a great message about mindfulness when traveling. You know, It's so easy to get caught up in going from point A to point B, from museum to castle to hip restaurant when you're traveling, and we often forget about being in the moment. It's so great that Darlie shared that message. Season 11 of Travels with Darlie is out now. Check your PBS station for when the show airs in your town. There's also more about Darlie at darlie-newman.com, and there's links in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash D-E-D-2-6-8. Plus, Darley's new podcast, Travels with Darley, is available wherever you get podcasts. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for curry puffs, the king of fruit, and rating different satay sauces. Don't want to miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about Cuba, not the one in the Caribbean. You can read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I've also got a new video out. It's about awful offals and coffee milk. You'll have to watch it to find out what that means. But trust me, it's delicious, and I add my own twist to each one. You can see it at DestinationEatDrink.com by clicking on the video tab or going to YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. 
Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.